it's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to the show. I couldn't be more amped up to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Mike Weinberg, best-selling author, speaker, consultant. Mike is a leading expert on new business development. You know, growing your business in zero time demands that you have a steady flow of qualified prospects streaming through your pipeline. I mean, you can always get orders from current customers. That's not going to get you where you want to go on your goals. How do you grow? How do you accelerate your sales with orders from new customers? Well, that's what we're going to learn from Mike today. Practical tips and strategies on how to prospect for new business. Mike, welcome to the show. Andy, always good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining me. So take a minute, introduce yourself. Tell us, how did you get started in sales? I never wanted to be in sales. It's funny, <laughs> I, I, uh, I haven't told that story in public in years, but you know, my dad was a sales executive and I thought there's no way I'm going to drive like a Chevy Corsica and stack nail polish bottles because he was a, uh, like a sales executive at Revlon. And I thought that is not for me. <clears throat> and uh, I ended up with a crazy job. Uh, my second job out of school, uh, where I was assistant to the chairman and CEO of SlimFast when it was oh SlimFast, yeah, the old yeah, diet plan, right? It was a week, and t- Tommy Lasorda, and I got to manage a private jet, and it was crazy, crazy stuff. <clears throat> but the the founder and CEO was very active in the business, and uh, I would get to go along on sales calls to giant accounts of ours, you know, flying to Minneapolis to see Target or down to Arkansas to see Walmart, and. I learned uh, that sales wasn't what I thought it was. You know, it wasn't about pitching and and manipulating and, and trying to push something on somebody. It was more about uh, being an, a consultant and an advisor and understanding their business and seeing if you could help them win. And if you can help them win, then you're really going to win. And I thought, huh, I like this. <clears throat> and that's kind of what, what what led me into sales. And I mean, I, I never, ever, ever, ever would have thought I would have ended up in consulting or let alone have, having a book. Uh, not just a book, a best-selling book. Yeah, well, it's been a. I've, let's just say I've been blown away by the response to it, and uh, I know you know this as we've exchanged books and reviewed each other's books. Um, you know, you get nervous when you send when you write a book, and, and mine is so basic. I when I sent it out to get endorsements, I I really kind of cringe, thinking, "Man, this is such fundamental sales things." I I wonder how sales gurus will respond to it. And then you know, I got these great endorsements, and then the book took off like crazy, and. I just didn't realize, I mean, I knew the content was good because this is what I do with my clients and I wasn't scared about that, but I didn't, I didn't expect it to get the traction, you know, like to, that in, in the world is just craving blunt truth today. And I think because there's so many, you know, we got like the new sales process of the week and the new, the new, the new, the new, the new toy or tool of the day and everyone telling us that, well, everything has changed and nothing's the same and you need that, this and the other thing and prospecting's dead and all those all those non-truths. So I think the timing of the book being blunt and practical and about basic hunting for new business <clears throat> at the time it came out, you know, when all these there's this like, you know, sales genre of the day kind of thing going on. Exactly. It probably helped, it probably helped me. Yeah. Well, I think that that you and I both in our books focus on these fundamentals, right? Because they're they're timeless. They're ageless. So I mean, it's it's people need to be always to be focusing on just blocking and tack, basic blocking and tackling to use sort of a football cliche, right? Yeah, but you know, it's not se- one. It's not sexy. 
And two, it's not what the lazy, reactive salesperson wants to hear because they're looking for the magic bullet or the new, new thing that'll stop them from having to do the working out so they're good at blocking and tackling. You know, and I, I, I'm curious for your take on this. I think part of what's going on here is that there are so many, and I don't want to, I don't want to demean anybody's integrity. I'm just going to say that there are a lot of people out there that are wrong. I don't want to say that they're lying or, or, or manipulating, but there are a lot of people preaching that what used to work is dead and doesn't work anymore. And if you don't do this new, new thing and buy my platform and use my tool and do this thing socially or do this thing inbound, that you're going to fail. And part of what's, I think the consequence is what's happened the last couple of years is people that drank all that Kool-Aid and got way out of balance and, and pitched everything that was old. And, and as you said, you know, the basics, the fundamentals, tried and true stuff, people that pitched that, they really struggled because when that new, new toy doesn't produce the number of leads or opportunities that you were, you were thinking it was going to, and you're staring at an empty pipeline and a, and a lousy commission check again, uh, what are you going to do? Right? So there's a, there's a hunger for like, help me. You know, I, I, I believe too many of these new newfangled theories today. And yeah, these, this new stuff is great and, and should supplement what, what we're doing. But it doesn't take the place of the things that have always worked in sales. Well, yeah. And even some of the things that are being put forth as new are really old. So, I mean, I, I love what a lot of SaaS companies are doing relative to how they're accelerating their sales, scaling really quickly. But they act like they invented inside sales. And the fact is inside sales with SDRs and account execs has been around for a long, long time. Yeah. And, it, you know, and it's funny. That's one thing is you bring that up. I'm encouraged by uh, the, the stronger and more clear role definition and clarity I'm seeing in a lot of companies. Because one of my pet peeves is that in a lot of lazy companies, um, a sales role is a sales role. You know, you got... You got one one jack of all trades does all sales jobs, and I think the reality is that most people aren't good at all aspects of selling. You know, there are people that are good at, at prospecting. There are people that are good on the phone. There's folks that are good at managing giant accounts and you know quarterbacking complex deals. Uh, there's folks that are real technical and they're good at being uh, you know sales engineers or or sales support. Um, so I am encouraged when you bring that. You know, yes, I, I think it is amusing that. We see SaaS companies and, you know, they're claiming they've got this new model. But I, I at least am applauding that we've decided that um, one size doesn't fit all in a sales role because I don't see a lot of people that are that, are that versatile. And truthfully, when we, when we have one sales guy doing 50 jobs from uh, lead generation to prospecting to discovery meetings to presenting to proposing to negotiating to closing to onboarding to servicing, to cross-selling, to entertaining. That's a lot of work. And no one defaults to the hard stuff like, you know, top of the funnel, uh, do the grunt work. Everyone wants to do the sexy, easy part. Exactly. So, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, do you like that? That like, uh, that I think the clearer the roles are, the, the better the, the company is? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that the more specialized knowledge and information, experience, expertise you bring to bear on helping the customer make a decision and get through their buying process, the better. So, yeah, I think, you know, this whole emphasis on more specialized roles within sales is right on the money. Hmm. That's good. Well, that's right up your alley. I mean, I, I, uh, especially in this last book of yours, I love, I love reading about the impediments to, uh, to speeding up, you know, the sales process and actually the, as you would phrase the buying process. And, uh, 
there are so many things that, that we see salespeople do that shoot themselves in the foot that actually slow down uh, the buyer's ability to make a decision. Well, what do you see that's, that's like that? <clears throat> I'll give you one of my, one of my personal it's biggies right now because I'm seeing it across several clients. Premature uh, demos and premature proposals. And I, I think, especially in the tech space, and you have a lot more experience in, in the tech world than I do, but in, in my limited exposure in the handful of companies I've worked with, there seems to be this race to the demo. And, and, and the customer has kind of trained everybody that they want to see the demo fast, that they don't have a lot of patience, especially if they were a lead. You mm-hmm. know, and they signed up and they raised their hand and said, hey, we want to see what you got. You, you've done your inbound marketing. You've, you've drawn us in. Now show us your deal. A lot of those customers, they're not really uh, – if you follow their lead and just go into demo mode, you skip the whole discovery process. And you really never know why you're demoing. You know, so you, you end up doing a presentation and a demo before it's time. And you really don't understand the prospect situation, the buying criteria, their key influencers, what drove them to even come to you for this demo. Mm-hmm. And so you end up like in, you know, and we'd say it in the old days, in show up and throw up mode. And you just kind of, you're puking out features and you're showing off brilliant technology and a, and a cool interface and it makes you feel good and it makes your, your company feel good because you're showing off your technology. But I think when you demo and present too soon, you actually slow down the sales process because you didn't learn all these things, and then the deal ends up stalling, and you don't even know if you're relevant or not. Well, and I think on top of that, what you do is when you use a demo as primarily as a sort of qualifying tool, you know, preliminary qualifying tool, you end up having to go back and do a demo again that's more relevant and specifically tailored to what they want. Yeah, well, that's good. So, so I, I mean, it, yeah, it does add. It's going to add time to your your sales process if you, as you said, you do it too prematurely. Well, yeah, and I think it's just you end up living in the land of hope. You know, you, I worked with a, a really talented sales guy years ago, and what I would call the uh, the uh, show up and throw up, he called it the spray and pray. <laughs> yeah, I heard that from a guest yesterday. Oh, really? I, I only heard it from this one. I've never heard <laughs> hardly anybody use that. And I love that. And, it, you know, his point, it's such a great word picture because you spray it all out on everybody and you pray that you hit on something relevant. And yeah. It, that's that's not selling. That's pitching, and you know we're not advertising agencies going out making a pitch. Like we're supposed to be consultative problem solvers, and I don't know how you can be viewed that way and be a trusted advisor if you don't learn about the customer's situation before you pitch. Right. Well, I think that one of the things you see is you see that demo, especially in in certain tech companies, that that <laughs> demo really becomes the handoff between the SDR and the account exec. So there's certain impetus you see built in that maybe incentives built in actually somewhat perversely to get to that demo stage quickly. But then to your point, it's at that point you're basically doing that somewhat spray and pray, as you said. Um, yeah, but you're really using that demo a little bit as a qualification tool. Sure, and I and I get that. I just think maybe the metrics or maybe the incentives are messed up. But I I just worry when I see us get into demo mode so quickly because then we look. Here's my my bigger fear, honestly. I feel like when we do it prematurely, the customer, the prospect, perceives us as nothing more than a vendor who is pitching at them. And my, my real feeling is if we would hold off um, just a little bit longer and play you know, consultant, do some discovery on the front end, so we could tailor what we're going to talk about better, even if the demo is for the most part the same. Mm-hmm. But the talking points, you would tailor to what you're showing them. So you wouldn't be talking about features. You'd be talking about tie-ins 
to what their objectives are or their pain removal. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's where I think it, it gets all goofy. But can I can I turn around and ask you a question? Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. So we, you and I, are we read all these people and these, there's these great – uh, there's a great theory today called Insight Selling. There's a, two books by that name. Right. We've got the Challenger Sell book, which has been on the top of the bestseller list forever. And I think there's some brilliant research and ideas in there. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that scares the heck out of me from the Insight Selling crowd and the Challenger folks is that I, I feel like they've they've gone too far in in telling salespeople, you need to bring all these insights to the customer. Because and you need to teach the customer. I'm all for bringing value. I'm all for insight. But I'm curious if this concerns you. I'm concerned that we have salespeople that like to talk too much anyway, right? And they go into presentation mode so quickly that if we start feeding them the line that they need to come off as professorial and teach and share insights, that that's going to destroy their ability to do, do good discovery work. And they're only going to be more uh, apt to to go in quickly and share and puke on on customers. So I'm, I just look, we just like, I don't get to talk about this very much, people. What's your take on that? <laughs> yeah. It's now the Mike Weinberg show. Um, <laughs> so expert. I, mean, I, I want to hear from you on this. What do you think? <laughs> well, you know, I agree with you. Like on the challenger sale, it is absolutely valid, right? But the problem is that they think it's broadly replicable. This is my problem with it. Broadly replicable. The fact is, there's very thin strata of or stratum of salespeople that can do that and you can't i was, I was sitting in a, a presentation once i'd given a keynote address at a conference and the speaker that followed me was talking about how to scale and hire a sales team to do the challenger sale mm. and i'm sitting there going it's just not scalable there's certain people that can do this that have the the experience have the the insights if we will have the intellect to be able to really work with the customer on a consultative basis help them reshape their vision of what it is they're trying to buy. And that that's not easy. And so it's not that the idea isn't valid. The idea is absolutely valid, especially in a competitive environment. If you're sort of behind, you know, it's a tactic I used all the time, is if I thought I was behind with somebody, maybe I got into a deal late and it was a large opportunity, I tried to reset the playing field, right? So it was more tilted toward me. And that was that's the challenge. So I challenged their paradigm for what they thought they were using for buying. And I think insight sales speaks to what you were talking about earlier about the specialization of roles within sales. I think it's an absolutely valid observation that they do work, but not every salesperson is going to be able to either have the capabilities or be able to be trained to be effective delivering them. So what happens is then the insights just become rote, right? They're not really insights. They become, yeah, really like they become a fact to a salesperson. Well, I like that a lot. Go so ahead. I think that, that, again, when we talk about specialization, there's definitely a role for it. And in certain sales situations, maybe given the complexity or the price of the product or the strategic nature of it, your frontline people need to have it in almost every situation. But in a lot of deals, you know, maybe it's maybe it's an expert that's brought in a specific time to help move the deal to the next stage. I'm with you. I like that. Got another question? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here. But before we take the break, I'm gonna pose a hypothetical scenario to you. You're gonna think about it while we're gone, and when we come back, you're gonna answer. So here's the hypothetical scenario. It's right up your alley. I'm ready. All right. You're a new sales manager hired into a company where the sales have stalled, stagnated, and management really wants things to change in a hurry. So what two things, two things, would you do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? So we're gonna talk about that when we come back. My guest is Mike Weinberg, and he's going to come back and share with us more of his tips about how to accelerate your sales growth. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. 
Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back. My guest today is Mike Weinberg. Check out Mike, <clears throat> excuse me, check out Mike online at newsalescoach.com. All right, so let's talk about that scenario I posed right before the break. You're a new manager, sales manager brought into a company, sales have stalled. What are you going to do in the first week? What two things are you going to do in the first week that will have the biggest impact? I am going to meet with everyone on my team one-on-one, and I'm going to ask them to bring with them to the meeting their business plan for the year and their target list of uh, prospective clients and existing customers that they are committed to pursuing for new business. That would be number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my, my little framework for picking up new business, target selection is first, and it's first for a reason. It's a very rare chance to be strategic. And I, I would want to, I'd want to see everyone on that team's own view of their job and if they didn't have a business plan in writing, shame on the my predecessor in this position. We would be writing business plans very quickly that address very specific goals and strategies we'd put in place to uh, attack those goals and actions we would be committing to, um, et cetera. And I won't, I won't unpack the whole plan. But sure, I'd but individual sure. sales plans, sales action plans for each individual sales person. Plan. And, 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 and the addendum that would be attached to that plan is I need your strategic finite list of accounts that you commit to pursuing because I never see a successful sales attack when there isn't clarity and focus. And the first place we got to get clarity and focus is who are we going after? And, exactly. And I'll, Andy, I'll just add this. When I, when I go into a company and everyone's in reactive mode you know, and they're struggling, a lot of the time when they, when they live in reactive mode and they're waiting for a lead or they're you know, farming whatever business they have, you don't really need a good list. You just kind of you pursue what comes your way. But the moment you decide we're going to go hunting, we're going to look for new business, and we're going to go on the attack, the natural first question is, okay, well, what are we hunting for, and where are we going to go? So that's thing one. I want to make sure everyone's got a list that we agree is the right list, like some thinking goes into it. We're going to go down a path of high, uh, high likelihood of success. Right. So that would be my number one thing. My number two thing is I would monitor the percent of time that my sales team actually spent selling. And this is my, I joke uh, about this here and there with clients, but this is really my dirty little secret as a, as a consultant. Uh, the number one cause I find in almost every company of why they don't pick up more new business is really simple. It's not the story. It's not the sales process. It's not the wrong talent. It's that the people that are supposed to be selling spend very little time actually trying to sell new business. Mm-hmm. They get all caught up in their underwear. They're doing everything else but trying to find business. They, they manage. They look for customer service buyers. They get on the safety committee. Uh, they socialize. They bring donuts to their favorite customers. They'll do anything but the hard work of hunting. So honestly, what I would next up making sure they have a great strategic list of target accounts to work, whether those be growable customers or prospective customers that don't buy from us yet. The second thing I want to do is that a larger percent of their time was dedicated to hunting for business. 
And I will tell you, for, forget the fact that I love my first book and 80% of it's about how to do that better. I see sales lift take place in companies when we have a focused sales team that's got a good list and number two, when they spend more time working that list. Forget technique, forget process, forget story. It's shocking to me, shocking, Andy, that uh, how, how small a percent of time most true, open quotes, air quotes, salespeople, how, how little time they actually spend selling. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I am writing a bunch right now about sales productivity, and it's really a focus. Sales productivity is different than sales performance. And sales productivity, if you take classic economic definition of productivity, which is you know, output, rate of output for you know, unit of input, mm -hmm. right? How much revenue are you producing per hour of selling time? Think about that. Yeah, that that is the ultimate measure of sales productivity is how much revenue you're producing per hour that you're actually selling. And you can talk about, you know, every time we look at sales managers and say, gosh, how long is your sales cycle? This is my, my lead in question. How long is your sales cycle? Well, it's two months. I said, no, no, that's how long it's taking your customers to make a decision. How much time are you investing sales wise to get them from that point of interest to point of decision? And no one has a clue. No wow, one has I a clue. I like that. Yeah. You know, and it, I think it goes both ways. I'm, I'm having a lot of conversations lately with people about uh, number of at-bats versus batting average. Mm -hmm. And I'm all about increasing the batting average and being more uh, effective. And, you know, when you have a great story and you can articulate value and you probe better and you run a great sales call, you're, you're more effective. And, and all the other things we could talk about from qualifying, et cetera. But I will tell you, give me a high-frequency attack over a low-frequency attack. A lot of the people I see that are still killing it when it comes to new business development, they are the ones who spend more time doing it. They turn over more rocks. They make the extra call. They they self-manage. You know, they do great mm -hmm. management. Mm -hmm. They monitor their metrics. And it's both. It's it's give me more output for your hour. But could you please give me more hours? Because most guys don't. If, if I, I A lot of times when I'm doing a talk and I, I go over one of the, the reasons salespeople fail, and I say they don't control their calendar. And I actually have them go back and look at their calendar for the last 30 days and I, I and look at the number of meetings they've had for, for selling and how they spent their time. And they're usually shocked when they do the analysis of how little of their calendar is actually dedicated to proactively pursuing business versus just reacting to emails and work and crap that's put on their desk. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think the, and the point I was making is that you, know, you can increase the number of sales hours available to somebody, right? But that, that's not changing their fundamental productivity. Because at some point, you're going to reach a max of what this number of hours that's available to them to actually sell. I don't know what that is. You know, most companies, I don't think, really push the boundaries of that yet. But at some point, you reach that that limit, and then you stop growing. So I think it's really, as you said, it's really a, a two-pronged approach. One is, yeah, you do want to free up salespeople's time so they can spend more time actually selling, actually sales hours. But at the same time, you really have to focus on, okay, how can I make them more productive for each hour of sales time that they're investing Right? How do I train them? How do I give them more knowledge, more expertise, more experience, and the things that we need them to do in order to help their customers? Wow, you're challenging me. I like this. I like the. Uh, I need. I'm going to go read more of your recent writings on productivity. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, I, I like the way you're framing it um, from a yield, almost from a yield, you know, true economic manufacturing yeah. perspective. That there's a there's an output reality here we got to look at versus the input. Right. Yeah, I'll send you some stuff. And we'll make it available to the audience uh, in the month of October, 2015. There'll be some stuff coming out that they can they can look at. All right, awesome. Excellent. So I've got some uh, rapid-fire questions I'm going to ask you here, uh -oh. and <laughs> you can <laughs> you can you can give 
one word answers. You can elaborate. It's really up to you. All right, are you ready? Andy, I'm just reminding you that I went to New York Public Schools, so I may I may take a second to process this rapid fire. <laughs> yeah, there's no spelling or math involved. Okay, that, that's helpful. Okay, so first one, what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? For selling my own business, when I'm selling what I'm doing? Yes. I hate to give this answer because it goes contrary to what I coach people that are not consultants, but in my own business, the most powerful sales tool I have is my content where I'm writing articles about real sales situations and how to address them. Okay. Great answer. And, you know, salespeople can do that as well. People, I mean, salespeople can, you know, create an image of who they are and a perception of who they are based on you know, having their own platform. It could be just tweets that they share, or articles they share on their social platform that prospective customers see. Totally. I agree with you. I won't get into a long uh, conversation with this because you want to go rapid fire. But my one fear is that salespeople that start to do that, some of them get so lost in the content creation that they forget they're supposed to sell. Well, I'm just talking about sharing, right? Sharing. Well, share, thank you. That's, sharing is different than writing. Yeah, There's a lot just of guys sharing. In, a lot of guys in the social selling space that are preaching, I want salespeople to write content. And I'm like, whoa. No, I just want them to share relevant content to their customers. Okay. I, amen to that. Okay. So name one tool you use today for your sales or sales management that you can't live without. My personal virtual assistant. Ah, what's their name? Her name is Mary, and she works for a company called EA Help which has been a phenomenal partner for me the last couple of years in my business, my head would explode without my executive assistant. And uh, she's not even in the same city as me, but she's in my inbox and she's helping with travel planning and communications. And um, I couldn't do what I do without her. Okay. So she's invaluable to me. Excellent. That's eahelp.com? Yes. We'll give them a plug, eahelp.com. Good people. Good Next people. Next question. Got their management team and uh, – uh, they've really run in a first-class operation there. All right, here's a hard one for you. Who's your sales role model? Mm, probably my dad. My dad was a successful salesperson. I only saw him as a sales manager as a kid. And he just taught me great stuff when I was young about working with the customer, not pitching at the customer, that your job is to help the customer win. If you help them win, you're going to win. Uh, he just really understood communication and, and making it about the customer. Excellent. All right, last question. Favorite music to listen to to psych yourself up for a sales call? I, I My music collection is so bizarre, eclectic, from uh, Celtic stuff to Flo Rida to worship <laughs> songs. Like I, You would think I had a personality disorder if you saw my playlist. I don't even know how to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, choose one. I, I can't. Honestly, I don't have a favorite. I don't. It, it, it varies. I mean, I, 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 it's usually some type of 80s, 80s mix. You know, it's Def Leppard. Um, All right, that's when good. I, my, when I my go to stuff is like eighties. Got it. Eighties hair metal. Air, yeah, hair metal or or slightly softer. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, good. So I want to thank you for joining me today. My guest has been Mike Weinberg, author of the best selling book New Sales Simplified. Mike, tell folks how they can find out more about you. Yeah, first, Andy, thanks for having me. You always energize me and challenge me. So fun to talk to you and, and share with your audience. Uh, you can find out more about me. I'm pretty darn active on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is uh, Mike underscore Weinberg, W-E-I-N-B-E-R-G, Mike underscore Weinberg. And uh, my website and uh, my blog is newsalescoach.com. Great. Now, Mike's going to be back with us before too long on an upcoming episode to talk about his new book that's coming out, which we're all very excited about. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you want to make sure not to miss that episode. So remember, make it a part of your day. 
every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your sales. And I hope we helped you with that today. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.